Hello and welcome to Nightlight. I tend to not think very much in terms of the Gentile New Year. I've never made New Year's resolutions or thought much of the end of the year and the beginning of a new year as anything special. At least I haven't done that in my adult life. I did as a kid, I guess. When I was a kid, uh, when times seemed longer, it truly was a whole year from one Christmas to another or from one school year to another school year. I, I did think much more of time markers. But now Christmas seems to come about every three months and my birthday comes about every week. Seems like uh, it's going fast. And I have lived through enough things to know that all my times are in his hands. And he makes all things beautiful in his time. And I know God has a very different way of looking at and marking out times than we do. So this is not a New Year's message. A better way of understanding what I mean may be to say that in the Greek there is chronological time, chronos, the time of the clock and the calendar marked by human terms, time that's measured by mathematical facts and figures. And then there's kairos time. It's time that's outside regular time and space and is marked by something of eternal destiny. Sometimes what is happening in kronos time happens to flow through a kairos event. I think we are in such a time now. It happens to be the end of a year, the beginning of a new year chronologically, but it also is a, a season of tremendous spiritual conflict, an epoch-making, civilization-shaking clash of kingdoms in the spirit. Now, please understand, I'm sure regular listeners already know what I'm about to say. I'm not referring to spirit as some vague kind of vaporous, mystical, cloudy, otherworldliness that has no physical, earthly, political elements to it, the kind that only occurs between the ears of the imaginations of people who believe in such realms. No, when I refer to this spiritual epoch we're in, I am automatically underlining something cataclysmic that is happening in the invisible realm that is so real that is it is automatically shaking everything in the visible human earthly political realm at the same time. There's a great earthquake beneath the sea beyond the attention of the average beachcomber, but unknown to him, and what is happening in the realm of the unseen beyond his immediate sight is so huge that in just a matter of time, relatively short time, it will suddenly burst upon him. And the tsunami set in motion out beyond sight will be more than just visible. In a matter of a short time, what happens in the underworld will transform everything in the outer world. That's what I mean. There's a great earthquake happening in the invisible realm beyond our sight, but the visible tsunami is surely coming. And important as that is, I don't want to dwell on that right now. 
<laughs> but because of how important it is, I want to focus on something more personal to each of us that is related to it. Rather than spend time on the invisible war and its possible outcome, we need to ask a more personal question right now. Are we fully awake? Are we paying attention to what matters? What are we learning about ourselves during this difficult time, what we might call this dress rehearsal for bigger things ahead? Can we examine these questions in the time that we've got together? Let's, let's try to. There's a verse in Jeremiah that I learned as a boy. It's never left me. I learned it when I was about 12. It, it's always been a sober reminder to me. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. God asks Jeremiah in response to Jeremiah's complaint to him that the wicked seem to prosper and go unpunished. The implication is that Jeremiah is tired of the battle, he's tired of the injustice, and he wants to give up. And I can relate to that. But God's response is this. If you run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horsemen? If the land of peace in which you have trusted has wearied you, what will you do in the swelling of the Jordan? It made a great impression on me, but I wish it had made a greater impact on my character development than it did. It didn't make a greater impact because I managed to hold it away from my conscious mind and look for ways to comfort myself the wrong way. It's a scary characteristic of human nature that in many cases, when we are confronted with a dangerous impending possibility, we can actually run the opposite direction from what we would expect ourselves to run. Instead of taking the warning of Jeremiah to heart as a boy, it actually made me nervous about the future. So I embraced years of self-indulgent sin in order to self-comfort and to avoid the necessary preparation that would have formed solid character in me, that would have strengthened me to be able to stand when evil came more forcefully. Now, thankfully, the Lord didn't allow me to keep hiding in that kind of denial. He lovingly took away most of my comforts, and like any good father who loves his children too much to allow them to remain foolish and weak, he drove me into a sort of wilderness in order to help me learn to face the enemy. But this desire to escape hard reality is a tendency we all seem to have. Above that, uh, that battle, about the same time that I learned Jeremiah 12, I remember a firsthand uh, event that portrayed it kind of a, is a parable to me. During an afternoon football practice, as we were running a play, the boy that the success of the play depended on rather lazily ran it, making some fatal errors as he went through the motions. And the coach clearly let him know what a mess he was making. But his reply matched his performance. He said, oh, don't worry, coach. I'll do it right in the game. Well, he didn't, and we lost. 
And along with Jeremiah 12.5, I have also remembered that particular encounter on the playing field. Don't worry, I'll get it right when I have to. But till then, I'll just kind of laze around and slop through and feed my flesh. And then when I absolutely have to get it right, when the pressure's on and I know I have no choice, well, then I'll, I'll do it right. But if you can't keep up with the footman, how will you keep up with horses? And if you can't stay stable in stable times, what will you do when instability hits? And Jesus answers some of the frightening questions of his disciples about the coming conflict of their era and of the greater conflict that the whole world would face at the close of this age although the disciples thought that what was coming in their era must be the final close of the age because we all tend to think our world is the world and our world coming to an end must be the end of the world. Jesus answers both their era and refers to ours when he describes what will come as the time when everything will be unstable. In Luke chapter 21, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things that are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then he closes this teaching with these words, and I would remind you, you probably should read the whole chapter for yourself. Take care over yourselves so that at no time you will allow your hearts to become overloaded with partying and self-indulgence. King James says drunkenness. The cares of this life, so that the time of great danger comes upon you unawares. You're unaware of the danger because you're trying to comfort yourself in all kind of ways to avoid facing the danger. For as a snare shall it come on all those that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always so that you may be strengthened in order to escape. I like the way the New English, uh, New American Standard uh, translates this. Pray that you also may have the strength to escape through these things that come and to stand before the Son of Man. Many people think, well, as time becomes more pressing and the close of the age becomes more obviously near, I will certainly get my act together. After all, the pressure of the age will shake me awake and I won't slip up and be foolish. I'll, I'll do what's right. In other words, I may be a mess at practice, coach, but I'll, I'll get it in the game when it counts. I'll do it right. Till then, I'll just ease along comfortably. But that's not how it works. That's not how we are. The fact of human nature is that under certain pressures, we don't tighten up. We do the very opposite. And Jesus is addressing that very thing. I can't tell you the number of times in my life I have caught myself being tricked by this, this false idea that I'll get it together when I really have to. No, I won't. I'll slop around in the peaceful times, and when the stress hits, I'll be unprepared for landing on my feet unless I stay awake now and do now 
what I eventually will have to do one day. Thankfully, we're not left to ourselves in this battle. Our Father who loves us and who understands how we are made and who has predestined us for a destiny that he's calling us to rise to, he knows just exactly what kind of pressures to apply and when and where to apply them that will work in us the positive changes that we need. It may not ever be clear to us how he's working. In fact, it's almost never clear, especially during the training time we've been put in, the one we're in now. We just think so often that we're going through some bad time or being attacked by the devil. And we do need to learn to discern the difference between when we are going through a character-building time and when we are just being attacked by the enemy. That's part of the training. But for most of us, our struggles cannot be blamed on the devil. They are usually the result of our own sin or other people's sins against us. And that's what God is after, to help us discern the difference and to respond wisely to whatever comes. Now, what I'm describing here is all true enough in the normal struggles of life. But this past year has not been a normal year, has it? And the level of struggle and difficulty and pressure has been far more demanding on us than before. And it is wise to take some time, get quiet, be still, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us examine ourselves to see where we may have become less than we are meant to be under these pressures. Now let me offer some personal examples of what I mean, because I have plenty of them, but I'll just focus on one. I've told you before, I hate going to the post office. We're a small outfit, too big to just rock along, but not big enough to be able to hire help. So some things I just have to do for myself every day. And post office stuff simply is one of them. I can let it slide sometimes for a day or two, and I can make preparations for temporary help when we have to be out of town for more than a few days. But otherwise, it's just me. So I had to learn to make going to the post office an act of faith and ask the Lord to bless me and let me be a blessing there. Since I don't have any natural affinity for going there, I work extra hard at having a godly attitude towards not only going, but how I behave when I'm there. Standing in line while it seems to appear that no one is paying attention to customers or they are all moving like sloths. (laughs) in slow motion to get to the people in front of them. Uh, It shows how self-important I think I am and also teaches me a bit of humility and patience. So I've learned to stand in line. And I thought at times while I'm standing in line, I do care for, for these people, all the people, the workers, the the customers, all kinds of people. And there are all kinds of people coming and going at the post office. I've enjoyed conversations and periodic encounters with many of them. 
I've had moments in which I've thought, well, you know, I really do. I'm coming to care about these people. I would never want to disrespect or injure them accidentally, and certainly not on purpose, by being rude or insensitive or impatient, no matter who they are. But then came the Chinese communist virus. And then the increasing confusion and false information began. And it wasn't long before the once attractive faces of people at the post office were shrouded with the new symbol of mindless obedience to arbitrary rules and false information so that I could not clearly see their faces. And then it became more obvious that eyes were beginning to fill with fear because that's all I could see was their eyes. The fear became mixed with impatient judgment of those who were not fearful. And that's only a short step from those fearful people becoming slowly but surely self-righteous. But there are two kinds of self-righteousness emerging in this scenario. Those who do wear masks give the judgmental stink eye to anyone who does not wear a mask. And those who do not wear a mask can give the full-faced naked stink eye to those who do. (laughs) The mask wearers can think they are truly caring and sensitive to others and watching over their safety, regardless of any scientific evidence of that. But who cares about evidence as long as you feel good about what you're doing? So forth. Well, but the non-mask wearers, though, bristle at what we may want to refer to as the silly lemmings who are dutifully obeying their masters and donning the symbol of their mindless submission. Now, when you see them riding down the street alone in their car with their mask on, you have to wonder just how stupid people can get. You may guess which of the two groups I tend to fall into. Now, it's not my purpose here to settle the mask debate. I hope you know my description of people who wear masks, even alone in their cars, is not offered as a statement of valid judgment of them. I may not be, it it may not be that they are stupid. It may be they're fearful, really fearful. I'm trying to illustrate something else that the mask issue seems to be bringing to light, and it's meant to illustrate the kind of little foxes that can creep in to infiltrate our souls with either a fearful self-righteousness or, on the other hand, an arrogant, critical self-righteousness. The real danger here is not the presence or absence of the mask per se but the presence of prideful judgments from either side. Can you believe we are having to talk about sides concerning masks? See, it's because there's a spirit behind all this. There's a way to take your particular stand about it without becoming unloving. If I know my non-mask wearing is truly making a mask wearer afraid, 
though I would prefer to help them be delivered from their fear by helping them learn more truth, they're not likely to care too much about my truth, what I believe. They're only seeking to save themselves from certain impending death by my maskless face, and so they want to keep me away. So in such a case, I try to accommodate them the best I can, or just keep away. And at the same time, I'm praying for grace to not be exuding vibes of irritation, impatience, or judgmentalism. But I'm not trying to give us an instruction on masks here. I'm hoping you can hear me warning us about something more dangerous, the little foxes. For those little foxes make way for bigger and worse intruders into our souls. Those little foxes spoil the vine where the fruit of the Spirit should be growing. Here we are at the beginning of the new year. Although I told you I don't pay much attention to it. You might think I would have a more important subject to unpack. But to me, this is vital that we get this right and get it in our hearts now. For we are, if we are allowing small irritations in, they become little sprouts of negativity that take root and grow. Before you know it, you are simply negative. You feel negative, and that bleeds into other aspects of your life. You snap, you are impatient, you are judgmental on greater levels. Ask me how I know, or better yet, ask Mary how I know. I thought I was doing pretty well keeping my frustration in check, but one day a a masked man came down the sidewalk in front of the post office He may have truly been mentally ill, really, but whether it was that or the strange man was just showing off some kind of exhibitionist meanness, he was getting up in people's faces and putting the skunk eye on everyone who he deemed not keeping the COVID rules correctly. In order to get his face message across, of course, He could not keep the sacred social distancing rule himself. Uh, And most people just looked at him like he was crazy and were slightly amused and then passed him by. But I found myself quickly irritated to the point of anger. And I was hoping he would approach me. Now, what might I have done if he had approached me? Tweak his nose? pull his mask down, (laughs) go upside his head. I don't think any of that was what the Lord might have had in mind for me and him should he come at me. But I had not been doing the practice work of loving the unlovable. I'd been just getting more irritated. I had not been working at being kind to those I disagree with. I'd actually been entertaining thoughts of irritation that made a real irritation far more irritating than it should have been. Thankfully, I was not one of the chosen recipients of his impartation of COVID stink eye. The official name is now hilariously virtue signaling, or so I am told. I prefer to call it COVID stink eye. Anyway, 
I was relieved to see him go away, but my feelings of relief were swiftly invaded by the presence of the Holy Spirit shining his light on my inner attitude. I had the chance to observe myself and saw that I was failing to run the play very well and that if I was not wise to pay attention and bring it under control, I would not be able to run the play very well in the real game whenever that came. Well, that's just one example of what I'm asking us to examine in ourselves. Maybe yours is totally different. Maybe you have found yourself truly fearful. Fearful of what? Fearful of disease. So now you know you have fear of disease. And it's a shaky place in you. So the Lord's allowing it to be shaken. What if, what if it's fear of the end times? Now you know there's something in you that is needlessly insecure about not only your future or the future, but maybe even this is uncovering a, a, a fear of death. Fear of your death. That's a big deal. That's something you need to deal with. Or maybe you have become far too isolated. Loneliness is killing more people than COVID. Loneliness has shrouded you and you can't seem to throw off the feeling of isolation or even of being abandoned and that no one really loves you. Or is it money? Money has certainly been a painful insecurity for many whose basic incomes have been stifled by the feckless foolishness of irresponsible government officials who get their checks quite regularly while they impose stupid restrictions on hard-working businesses. Or maybe, just maybe, you struggle with rage. Now, I don't have that problem, of course, but some of you may be wishing you could take these stupid, hypocritical politicians out and tie them to a tree and beat them with a horsewhip until they come to a wiser point of view. I don't have that problem, of course, but if you do, we need to add you to the list of people who need prayer. All joking aside, rage is certainly a real temptation in the face of such manifest lawlessness, hypocrisy, and political evil. Let's face it for what it is in me and keep it before the Lord, which I do. Not very well sometimes, but I do. But please hear me now. It's not because I want to be a goody-two-shoes pacifist that I'm saying this. This is not the time to try to just get along. This is the time to fight evil. But how wisely do we fight evil? First, by not giving place to evil within ourselves. That's where we begin. We do not lash out or give place to violence, but we must not allow it on the imagination level either. For what we think is what we will eventually do. But on the other hand, neither do we lay back and give place to evil and call that being Christ-like or being a peacemaker. You don't see Jesus passively staying silent in the face of wrong. Staying awake and being sensitive to his voice in each situation we face, we will hear him tell us how we are to respond or whether we are to respond. 
For there are times we are just to stay silent, but there are times we are to sound like a trumpet in war. But for now, let's focus on our original question. What has the pressure thus far helped us to face about ourselves and within ourselves? Once we see it, what are we to do about what we see? Now, before we go on, you might need to stop listening to me. Go to the Lord with anything that has come up in you as we have addressed some of these issues. Before we go on, we might need to just stop and pray. Forget me and turn to him. Self-control or lack of self-control, fears of various kinds, maybe tendency to avoid the whole battle by just hiding in your own private world and giving place to self-comforts of various forms. Deal with these things the best you can. Then come back and we'll try to go forward into the next part of this message. Well, the second portion of this message cannot be heard unless we have done the work we were describing in the first part. We cannot go forward into warfare ahead unless we are at least seeking to master ourselves by learning to walk in the Spirit, especially in the issues where we know we're weak. We'll never get it perfectly right. You don't learn to walk, though, by sitting. You learn by walking. So don't use, well, I'm not walking in the Spirit as an excuse to be inert. It is this very classroom of confrontation we are now being forced into where we will learn as we go. As Thomas Paine wrote in the days preceding the conflict that birthed this nation, these are the times that try men's souls. I'm not being hyperdramatic when I say we are in those times again. So now, where are we and what do we do next? A few minutes ago, while trying to give an example of my own struggle with inner discoveries of my own character flaws and weaknesses and failure to be Christ-like, I used examples related to my mundane encounter at the post office with mask versus no mask people. I said then that I was not seeking to address masks per se as to the rightness or wrongness of masks, but only that I was trying to awaken us to our own inner issues. But now I do want to address an aspect of the mask issue. But again, not to examine the validity or invalidity of masks, but to address the way the mask issue is being used by powers of darkness through the evil intentions of leftist thinking people. I try not to be unnecessarily forceful in what I'm saying here, but I want to be as clear as possible. When the directions were first being handed down by the so-called experts concerning what was and was not the safest way to deal with the China virus, there was then some confusion. I should say the red China virus, because there's many wonderful Chinese people this that has nothing to do with this evil. And we need to bless them and pray for them because they are fighting uh, the very government that I'm referring to. 
But anyway, in those days, it was all new and yet unknown territory. And that was forgivable. But it wasn't long that we were getting new and contradictory directives from our great experts that changed weekly, sometimes even daily. It began to be confusing. Then it began to be obvious that there was a spirit of confusion purposefully being wielded by both devils and people. For in confusion, people lose their way and become more easily controlled with mindless directives. As they get more confused, they get more anxious. As they get more anxious, they get more easy to control. By late September, it was obvious to discerning eyes that the mask was going to become the symbol of obedience to the leftist status quo. Just now, it has come across my desk that a doctor in Oregon has lost his license because he simply questions the validity of the science, so-called, behind mask wearing as an effective preventative measure. Never mind he's a doctor. Never mind that he's a practitioner in good standing. Never mind that his motive is to protect people from false information so they can have a good outcome. Because that's never the reason politicians do what they do. It's only so they can people politicians on the left. Sadly, that includes now, as we are learning more and more, many on the right who might as well be on the left. Well, this doctor had the audacity to point out that the Red China virus was spreading where masks were most in use. See, we've gone in just a few months from not knowing to guessing to suggesting to mandating the wearing of masks. And the general public, which is painfully ignorant of these facts because they listen mostly, if not exclusively, to the same liars that they've been seeking uh, listening to, who've been seeking to destroy the liberty of this nation for decades, and who love to kill babies, and to love love to destroy the family, and love to annihilate uh, the freedoms of this country. They, that's who they listen to. That's that's who they go to for their quote news, spelled N O O O O Z. And some are frightened to the point of being easily managed. And management of people is always the aim of the left, not their well-being, not their care, and certainly not their freedom. Unless you want to kill a baby, then they want to protect your freedom to do that. Or unless you want to dress up like a woman and uh, as a man and go into the women's bathroom so you can uh, flash girls or do other nefarious things, they want to protect that freedom, but otherwise, no. What I'm most concerned about are the many numbers of believers in Jesus who seem to fall right in line with whatever propaganda comes down the pike. It may be because they have an exaggerated view of Christian obedience to the government, which they need better biblical training to know how to discern, or they may may be fearful of disease and they still need more scriptural training concerning that. But the fact is now clear that there is an out-of-control frenzy of leftist, anti-Christian, anti-family, anti-freedom that has been given far too much room to function and now is going to be difficult to stop without strong resistance. The horsemen have not yet come. 
I'm still describing the activities of, of footmen. We have not yet resisted unto blood, not us. Some people have, though, in parts of the country. But we are now entering into the realm of open hostility against Christian faith that is no longer even trying to disguise itself. It is obvious that the masks, the closing of businesses, and most of all, the closing of worship gatherings is nothing more or less than defiant anti-Christian evil. And even in the face of this evidence, many Christians suffering from the human tendency we described earlier in this message are in denial, refusing to see what we're up against, just as they have refused to see that this level of evil has been encroaching now upon us for decades. When the Roman Catholic leaders warned us back in the 1960s that birth control would lead to the disintegration of the family, the ruin of marriage, the opening, opening the floodgates of all kinds of sexual confusion, Protestants scoffed at, it, at, at that whole idea as ignorant. And I am not anti-birth control when it is wisely monitored by a committed believing couple with medical help and with good uh, spiritual guidance. But that's not what the Roman church was warning about, though in some people's minds their attitude toward birth control never being right uh, is seen as extreme. But the point is the Catholic church was absolutely on target of what would be the result once you separated birthing children from marriage. Once having children was no longer a matter of marriage, the family itself began to disintegrate. But we said, no, it'll be okay. Then we began killing babies. But we just went even deeper into denial. Then homosexuality came on stage. It, it took about three decades for the political force of the LGBT to add a whole list of letters to its moniker. And now, just in the past five years... We have come to the place where your daughter may be molested by a man in the store ladies' restroom because he feels like a woman today. Or you may be sued by a man dressed like a woman because you didn't acknowledge his neurosis as reality. Two of the same sex can claim to be married while hating the one who established marriage. And all this has unfolded right before our eyes while most people just stay in denial. Again, I guess denial is human nature, but a believer in Jesus doesn't have the right to hide in denial. For the believer, such denial has another name, cowardice. It is possible to enjoy the truth as a passive intellectual mental engagement, and yet when it comes to obeying and standing for the truth, to find ourselves impotent to do so. If we are faithful in small things, Christ will make us ruler over larger things. But if we fail to act on what we believe, James warns us that we will be hearers of the truth, but not doers, and therefore deceive ourselves. Evidently, there are many people who are deceiving themselves. They can claim Christ while actively supporting the murder of babies, the perversion of children's sexuality, the, the destruction of the freedom of worship, 
or if not actively support that by voting for the party that does support those things, they silently slink by with not a word of resistance to evil and then claim they are being peacemakers. So it's no wonder then that we have come to the place of judgment. Isaiah tells us that when God's judgments are in the earth, then the people learn righteousness. Well, let's close by reviewing what judgment means. For it has many shades. It can mean having good judgment, wisely discerning between a right thing and a wrong thing. Or it can mean, on a larger, more dramatic scale, to bring a decree down upon an unjust set of circumstances, either upon a person, uh, an organization, or a whole nation. But the word judgment has come to mean, in most people's minds, wrath. Judgment is not wrath. The wrath of God, or sometimes just the Bible refers to wrath without speaking of it being of God, it's just the the end of God's patience with a circumstance in which he gives that over to its own will. Like it says in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is now being revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Wrath is the final result of disregarding God's judgment. So I hope from that you can see how judgment and wrath are connected, but judgment is not wrath. Wrath is when a nation is given over to its enemies. All immediate remedy is gone, and evil is in control. God's wrath is when he turns a people over to their self-deceptions. We are not under wrath as a nation yet. But do you see the wrath of God is the result of progressively disregarding the corrective judgment of God? Judgment is for putting right what is wrong. We are now being given our possibly last opportunity to agree with God's judgment and to bring forth fruits of repentance by taking righteous action to overturn past evils and therefore to set them right. What has been progressively going more and more wrong for decades is now something we cannot any longer ignore, and that is a good thing. But many are not heeding the warnings of judgment. And let's be very careful to remember this includes not just repentance for abortion and sexual evils that we tend to, to focus on so much, and rightly so, but it also includes the disregard for the poor, and I'm not talking about the political manipulation of the subject of the poor that the left loves to do. They don't care about the poor. They only care about using poor people as a pawn for their other, other issues. I'm talking about true victims of injustice of all kinds for the exaltation of graft, greed, and corruption and the gathering of wealth at the expense of weaker people or weaker nations. God hates that just as much. This is also great evil in God's eyes and brings just judgment. And if we reach the place of total self-deception, where we disregard the judgments, we disregard the call of mercy that comes through the judgments, if we refuse to hear and obey, wrath becomes certain. He, 
being often reproved, who hardens his neck, shall suddenly be cut off without any remedy. That's true for an individual, and it's true for a nation. But there is still hope. God will respond to the cries of even a remnant. He will withhold wrath on an entire city that deserves it for the sake of even ten righteous. Not because he's satisfied to have the ten, but because the truly righteous ten will automatically infiltrate and bring redemption to the corrupt city. The ten will leaven the whole lump when they are awake and actively obeying God. We've not been awake and actively obeying God now for decades. We have been sleepily self-satisfied with a state of constant and increasing corruption, which God is sick of. And so we are under the beginning of judgment. May we wisely respond. For God's desire is to have a fully awake, fully responsive remnant who will be salt and light in their generation who will begin to bring cleansing and healing to the corrupt world around us, not by sitting inside church buildings and singing songs to each other and having a a Christian ghetto, but by getting out and being salt and light in the earth. We must wake up, but we must stay awake. These words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 have never been more pointedly accurate for us as they are now. But of the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need that I write you. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that are drunk, are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember a while ago we, we, we took, looked at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 21 where he warned that as the time approached for the end, whether it was the end of Jerusalem or the end of the age, that the great danger would be partying and drunkenness and the avoidance of facing reality by self-comforts. And so here again, Paul says, don't be drunk, don't be asleep, don't try to avoid the realities of the demands of your day because uh, the time has come for you to do what you claim you believe. Now is the opportunity for us to find out whether what we say we believe 
and have said we've believed for all of our Christian life is really true or not. We can now be doers of the word, not hearers only. Father, I pray for every man and woman and boy and girl under the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, for a great working of your spirit to, to, to take the words that I've said, people as they are, and let them become uh, tools of your spirit to work in us a cleansing and a correcting and an awakening and uh, uh, an empowering for us to do what you've called us to do and be what you've called us to be in this time that we're now facing. Thank you for your people. Thank you that you who have begun a good work in us will complete it. Thank you that we are not asleep and we are certainly not drunk. We are sober. We are watchful. We're waiting for our orders. And those of us who know our orders, we, we, we intend to fulfill them completely. Whatever you command us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. When men have lost all reason And evil seems to win Then compromise is treason And silence is a sin Let all who hate the darkness Prepare to stand and fight The children of the morning Must stand against the night When all that wisdom treasures Is treated with disgrace And idols of damnation Are set up in their place when every holy symbol is fading out of sight the children of the morning must stand against the night we'll do Against a setting sun Until the final darkness When no work can be done Then watching for our bridegroom With oil lamps burning bright We will worship in the darkness And stand against Against the final darkness No human strength can stand The evil shall be shattered But not by human hand The maker of the morning Will come in holy light That burns in righteous anger and wrath against the night.